Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. morning. I just want to thank the worship team. Um, so half of the half of the people up there are, are, are brand new and just stepping up. Um, I had the privilege of being a full-time worship pastor here uh, for a long time. It's still near and dear to my heart, but God called um, me through the elders into a different role and to see just people raise their hands and say, hey, do you need help? I could do this. Like, if that's you sitting here, come forward and talk to us, probably about most areas of ministry here at Harvest, but specifically uh, this morning to see Renee on keys and Rovan singing uh, for us, just sitting um, out there um, singing with us and then volunteering to lead us is a blessing. And so maybe if you're prompted, say thank you to them after the service and encourage them. Uh, this morning, we continue in the book of Joshua. Uh, last Sunday, we had uh, our guest, I get his name wrong, I keep calling him Peter well, uh, Weller, that's a, a, a musician. Um, Paul Weller is a musician, but we had a guest speaker last week from the Moody Bible Institute, and he took us through Joshua chapter 14 and some passages after that that include the distribution of land. This morning, we pick up in Joshua chapter 20 at the end of the distribution of land, and I'd like to read our text for us this morning. If you have a Bible, please uh, go there and read along with me, um, Joshua chapter 20. Follow along with me, rather, not read out loud. If you feel led, you can. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, tell the Israelites, select your cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that a person who kills someone unintentionally or accidentally may flee there. These will be your refuge from the avenger of blood. When someone flees to one of these cities, stands at the entrance of the city gate and states his case before the elders of that city, they are to bring him into the city and give him a place to live among them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not hand the one who committed manslaughter over to him, for he killed his neighbor accidentally and did not hate him beforehand. He is to stay in that city until he stands trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest serving at that time. Then the one who committed manslaughter may return home to his own city from which he fled. So they designated Kadesh in the hill country of Naphtali in Galilee, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. Across the Jordan east of the Jericho, they selected Bezer on the wilderness plateau from Reuben's tribe, Ramoth and Gilead from Gad's tribe, and Golan and Bashan from Manasseh's tribe. These are the cities appointed for all the Israelites and the aliens residing among them, so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there and not die at the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the assembly. This is Joshua chapter 20, and this is the word of the Lord. Amen? What an interesting passage of Scripture we have this morning. I see some of you shaking 
your heads. This morning's all about manslaughter. Very, very specific. Very, uh, it's just a niche uh, sermon here. Joshua chapter 20 is the smallest chapter in the book of Joshua, but listen to me, it reveals big things about the heart of our God. I know it's very um, narrow, seemingly narrow in its purpose. There's these cities of refuge, six of them to be exact, created so that people guilty of manslaughter, not premeditated murder, there was no hate involved. It was an accident. They had some place to flee. And I'm sure with me, you're just quite, not shocked, but just um, impressed or surprised that there's a whole chapter from start to finish in Scripture about this. And you will see in just a minute, this isn't the only place in Scripture this is mentioned. We're going to talk about three other places that build up to this. Why is this here? It's my task. I thought I was going to be on vacation last week, so I, I've, been work, I've been sitting and kind of living in this passage for a couple of weeks now. And I've been asking through prayer, God, this question, God, what does this reveal about you? What does it say about you? And what does it say to harvest? That's, that, that is a, a, a small prayer that I've developed in preaching um, before God. God, what, is it, what does the text say? That's our first job. What does it actually say? I don't want to misrepresent this text. What does it say? What is it teaching us about you? But I literally walked up here on Thursday afternoon when the building was empty and just looked out and I'm like, but what does it say to these people? What does this text say about you and what does it say to harvest. You see, when we read Scripture, when we read the Word of God, we are reading about God the primary subject. The primary subject of Scripture is God. This is God's revelation to us about God. It reveals who He is, His work to save us in Jesus Christ, and reveals where He is taking all things for our good and his glory. So when you read scripture, which I hope you do, if you've already messed up some sort of New Year's resolution and you're like way off of your plan, I hear the nervous laughter, that's okay, that happens every year. Just keep reading. Maybe you picked too large of a chunk to bite off and you had chapters and chapters every day. Just slow down, it's okay, but spend time daily in God's Word. It is different than any book that exists because when we read God's book, we are not just reading um, to get principles or stories. There are stories in here. There are principles in here. There's advice for how to live in here. But when we read Scripture, we are learning about God, the primary subject. Second thing that's interesting about reading Scripture, studying Scripture, sitting under it in church, preaching Scripture, is that this book is unlike any other book. I said a couple weeks ago how God is revealed in all of creation. We know that from Romans, but that's called general revelation. Special revelation is that God has chosen to reveal Himself in His written Word in an explicit way. So 
I, I teach my younger sons uh, this way about Scripture. In prayer, we get to talk to God, and in, in reading His Word, we get to hear from Him. Okay? So this, is, this book is not only about God, it is a message from God to us, and so we treat it very seriously. That's why I hope sitting under the preaching of God's Word on a Sunday morning is an act of worship, not because of the person preaching, but because of what they're presenting, which is God's Word to us. And you can hold us accountable to that. If it ever becomes a bunch of like our own ideas or advice, call us out. Talk to the elders about that. Our goal this morning, from Joshua chapter 20, in this very specific subject of manslaughter, unintentional murder, is to understand something about God and to hear a message from God that we can apply. Okay, so in Joshua chapters 14, really 13 through 19, the land is divided up. They went, they crossed the Jordan River, they kept heading west, and God delivered on every one of his promises, and they inherited the land. And now, according to the 12 tribes, God allotted land for each tribe. Remember, we had a whole sermon on what the Levites received. Does anybody remember that? The priests, what land did they receive? They did, right, they didn't get any. They got God himself. And so now chapter 20 is really the crowning moment, and, and we go back again, like knowing what it's about. It's really interesting. This is the crowning moment uh, of, this is the icing on the cake for all of the land distribution here. Uh, it is the cities of refuge. This is in fulfillment of what has been talked about for a long time. Way back in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, when God is giving the law to the people, by chapter 21, shortly into the giving of the law, directly from the Lord to Moses himself, God sets up this provision. Let's look at Exodus 21, verse 12. Whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. The next verse says, oh, that's Numbers 30. Okay. Pardon me. I have an analog version here. And I'd get frustrated about the slides, but I came in yesterday and put them in myself. So that, is, that is my fault, not Maria's. Exodus 21, verse 12. Whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. But verse 13, but if he did not intend any harm, and yet God allowed it to happen, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. Okay, so God's people, Israel, were in slavery in Egypt. God raised up Moses to lead them out and deliver God's people. They crossed the Red Sea. God is providing for them in the wilderness, even through all of their disobedience. Up on the mountain, God gives Moses the law. And in chapter 21, right after the Ten Commandments, God gives him this provision, very specific but intentional because it's going to teach us something about God this morning. Whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. But if he did not intend any harm, and yet God allowed it to happen, God, I will appoint a place for, where, for you where he may flee. Let's look at Numbers 35, verse 6. Numbers 35 and verse 6. The Lord speaks again to Moses the following. The cities that you give the Levites will include six cities of refuge, which you will provide so that the one who kills someone may flee there. In addition to these, give 42 other cities. So all the way in Numbers, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, speaking through Moses, the Lord says the cities you give the Levites will include six cities of refuge. So here we are this morning after the land is distributed, coming to Joshua chapter 20, and after the tribes get their inheritance of land, after the Levites are reminded that God himself provides for them food and provides his own presence and is for himself and all the people, their inheritance, the crowning moment is in Joshua chapter 20 in the six cities of refuge. He's been talking about them for a long time. When you get into the promised land, there's going to be six places that you can go for refuge. And here they are given this morning. Let's start with verses one through three of this chapter, the reason for refuge. The word refuge appears two times in the opening verses of this chapter. And we see immediately one thing about God. I want you to sort of like pocket these truths about God. Part of this is theology this morning, and part of this is application. Theology is just the study of God. We are all theologians. Even an atheist is a a theologian. They they, they believe something about God. They believe, um, I believe errantly, but that he doesn't exist. We're all theologians. Part of this is theology. What about God? Refuge is provided for God's people by God. Providing refuge for others comes from the very heart of God. You know, we were created to seek refuge. Adam and Eve had a time where they never had to think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden had absolutely everything they needed. Sin had not entered the world yet. Everything was perfect. And there they had the very presence of God with them in the garden And they were at home, and they were at rest. But after sin broke the world, by Genesis chapter 3, we see that everything is going a different direction. And even Adam and Eve flee. They make their own clothing. They are forced to leave the garden. This is wired in us to seek refuge, to seek rest. We see this in animals. We see this uniquely, though, in human beings seeking spiritual rest. Life is often difficult. It's a struggle. It's stressful. It feels dangerous. We feel anxious and threatened at times, and sometimes we seek refuge in all of the wrong things. We end up choosing things that God created that are, uh, in a sense, neutral, but when we choose to hide in them or find our refuge in them, they become sin for us, and they disappoint us every time. This is a trap of the enemy. We want to stand, understand first this morning that refuge, safety, comes from God himself. As the psalmist opened Psalm 46 with, in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Do you need that verse this morning? Write that verse down. It's yours from God to you. David knew what it was like to run. He wrote in Psalm 32, 7, You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. We understand that refuge is provided for God's people by God. Refuge is something that comes from God, and our refuge ultimately is in God. Don't forget the inheritance of the Levites. It was God himself. I want to go to verses four through six for this second point, the way of the city of refuge. 
How did the city of refuge work? Let's go back and read this. Verse 4, when someone flees to one of these cities, he stands at the entrance of the city gate and states his case before the elders of that city. They are to bring him into the city and give him a place to live among them. Okay, so if someone kills someone unintentionally, they are to flee to one of these cities. This is the premise. This is the heart of the whole chapter. Actually, I told you there was a third place in Scripture that sets up this morning. There's a very practical example. Well, what were they were thinking? What were they thinking when it came to manslaughter? Deuteronomy 19 and verse 5 says this. If, for example, he goes into the forest, a person goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings the axe to chop down a tree, but the blade flies off the handle. I think I discovered this week that's where that phrase probably comes from, flying off the handle. But the blade flies off the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. That person, what? May flee to one of these cities and live. This is a long-anticipated Things. So let's say that this is our example, just so that we have a clear context for uh, the manslaughter being addressed. Deuteronomy, we were already given an example by God, two people working uh, in the woods together, cutting wood, and one person unintentionally kills the other person. There's six things that happen. This is verses four through six and point two of the sermon this morning. They flee to a nearby city of refuge. Two, they state their case at the city gate. Three, if plausible, applicable, uh, approved by the city leaders at the gate, he's then let inside, so not, not just anybody can come in the city gate. He has to stay in the city gate for his own safety. He remains there until full trial and the high priest's death. Six, if proven innocent and or the high priest dies he returns home. So this is the way of the city of refuge. And so from verse 4, we understand three things. Actually, in verses 4 through 6, the heart of the text of Joshua chapter 20, we're going to learn three things about God. I, we already learned that God is our refuge, okay? But we, we're approaching this passage to learn about God this morning. I have three things for you. We learn about justice, protection, and sacrifice from this passage. Justice, protection, and sacrifice. In verse 4, we see justice. You see, the person uh, can't just go into the city and say, uh, uh, proclaim their own innocence and be given a card and they could go enjoy the amenities of that city and then maybe like leave and go throughout the surrounding area with immunity because they said so. It's self-described. Maybe they have a card or something. No, they have to go state their case before the leaders of that city, before they're let into that city and receive refuge. The person must state their case. And we see right here that God is concerned about justice. The word justice gets thrown uh, around in our culture a lot. And as with many words, it lacks thorough definition. And while the whole sermon is not about justice this morning, the most important thing you can, as a Christian who trusts the Bible this morning, take into your workplace and into your studies and into your life, into your processing and filtering of culture and media, is this most important thing about justice, that justice comes from God. Justice is 
part of who God is. It is inherent in his unchanging character. Injustice is manifested in how God treats other people. Injustice is something we are invited to follow God in practicing. Justice isn't some sort of social media buzzword or tool of a politician. Justice, properly understood, emanates from the very nature and character of God. And there's a sense of punishment here. You see, the person, uh, it's not like God has, just has a special loophole for people who commit manslaughter and they go free. What's, what's uh, speaking from the silence of this text is that the person from, uh, who commits manslaughter does have punishment, just like there's a man, there are consequences for man a slaughter in the judicial system in the United States. There are consequences for manslaughter here in the new uh, nation of Israel. They have to stay in that city of refuge, away from their home. Uh, we don't know what age they were when they entered the city of refuge, but here exiled in a separate place, they are because of manslaughter. There is a concern by God for everyone involved. The justice of God is concerned for the person who lost their life. They're, the justice of God is concerned with consequences for the one who even unintentionally took their life. And the justice of God is concerned for the outcome and the innocence of the one who committed manslaughter. This is the justice of God. He is concerned with what is right and true. This comes from the nature of God. From verse 4 in the justice of God, we learn that God values all life, both the life of the one who was accidentally killed and the life of the one who accidentally killed that person. God is concerned and has value assigned for that life. The way of the city of refuge this morning from Joshua chapter 20 teaches us that justice comes from God and that God is concerned and assigns value to all life equally. God expresses value for men and women equally. God is concerned with us in our middle-aged years. God is concerned with the value of life of teenagers. God is concerned with the lives of preborn children. God is concerned with the lives of the elderly from every race and ethnicity and from every place in this world. God's heart is that each person be treated in truth and equality with dignity and justice. This isn't some sort of political or social media shared opinion. This is the very heart of God towards people. This is the essence of what it means to be pro-life. Not as a way to vote, but as a way that you understand that from God's perspective, he assigns equal value to life at all stages. So we are concerned with life in the womb not because we espouse the ideals of a political party, but because God created it and he's concerned for it. But likewise, we don't puff ourselves up that we're pro-life because we vote for a certain candidate and we think that that job's done and then neglect the elderly. You see, to be pro-life isn't to be only concerned with one stage of life. It's to realize that people 
in every stage of life have equal value to God. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, I was in a church. You learned all about that city if you were here a few weeks ago. And if you were in our small groups, Dave Beiswinger has been writing study guides, and he did like a history of those towns. I was so impressed by that. Maybe you saw that. You can thank Dave for all that research. When I was in fifth and sixth grade, we had a boys' Sunday school class, and this person was as saintly as they come. I cannot imagine. Every Sunday, okay, every Sunday, Howard Pats at our church taught boys' Sunday school. There wasn't a rotation. He wasn't scheduled on planning center. He just owned it. He seemed old then. He couldn't have been that old because he taught for years and years and years. You know how it is when you're a kid. You just assume he's probably my age, and he just seemed ancient. He would take us on camping trips. We would have bonfires on his property, and he taught us God's word, and he loved those kids, and he just taught faithfully. Sheena and I, my wife, met in the fifth grade. We were in Sunday school at the same church starting in sixth grade. In seventh and eighth grade, we actually got to sit by each other because it wasn't separated by boys and girls. Those were exciting times. (laughs) When Sheena and I were teenagers, around age 18, we started dating. And when we started dating... I got tapped on the shoulder by Howard Patz, my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. And he said, my wife and I, and I knew this, our ministry that people don't see. So in addition of teaching Sunday school, he wasn't on staff or anything. He wasn't a pastor. He was just a leader in the church. Taught the Bible every Sunday to fifth and sixth grade boys. And then in their spare time, he would bring a guitar and a Bible to nursing homes throughout the area in like a 20-mile area, and he would sing songs and spend time with people and share the gospel with them. And he tapped Sheena and I when we were just dating. You think Sheena's shy now? You should have seen her at age 18. They, they invited us to come along with them, and so they started taking Sheena and I as a young dating couple to nursing homes and spending time with people. And here I saw the very heart of God. That just as God is concerned with preborn life and humanness, it has equal value. God is concerned with life in the latter years, which our culture that's obsessed with youth, our social media feeds are full of uh, people in the prime of their life traveling to interesting places in the best shape of their life. And we like to hide from the inevitability of the latter years, and often nursing homes, not all of them, assisted living facilities and nursing homes can be places where we as a culture sort of look the other way from a part of life that is inevitable to all of us and that we might be fearful of. The justice of God means that all life at every stage has equal value. So when Howard Patz and his wife Valerie, who's now passed away, tapped my wife and I to go to the nursing home. He was following the very heart of God with justice, expressing value to life equally 
at every stage. The second thing we learn in the way of the city is protection in verse 5. If the avenger of blood pursues this person, they must not hand over the one who committed manslaughter over to him, for he killed his neighbor accidentally. So once the case is heard in a preliminary hearing outside at the city gate, the person is let in inside the city of refuge, and there they're granted protection within the city walls. The avenger of blood, this isn't like somebody who's really ticked off and um, flying off the handle, as they say, after this person to get revenge. This was actually a cultural normative thing. In a large family, uh, there would be one person identified as the avenger of blood who would go after in retaliation man-made justice against that other person. I think we all know in our families, if you think they're your siblings, uh, crazy uncles, who that avenger of blood would be in your family. I don't know in my house who it would be. I won't tell you. Um, those are like this specific person. It's not me. Um, one of my boys. Uh, so in this culture, in the, the avenger of blood, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't pursuing them inappropriately. He was fulfilling his cultural obligation uh, to seek retribution on any death. But the person could not go into the city of refuge because he was afforded protection there. The way of the city of refuge reveals something so precious to us. You know, we get this big view of God from the book of Joshua, how he's mighty in battle with his people. Do you know that God, inherent in his nature and heart, is a heart to provide protection? Would you let that fuel? Like, this is, these are things I say, put it in your pocket, come up with a different phrase, whatever works for you. Like, hold on to this. I think that this truth about God from Joshua 20 should build your prayer life. When God gave the law to people, he could say whatever he wanted that's obviously true and aligned with his character. And God says, I want these cities of refuge to exist because I provide refuge for people. I am a source of refuge and help for people. I have a heart for justice. It finds its genesis in me, God. And I have a heart to protect people. It comes from my heart. Harvest Community Church, would you take this truth that God in his heart has a desire for protection, and would you trust him? Obviously, this means, Scripture says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. It means you can call on him for protection. Does anybody have teenagers in the room? I do, right? And they're staying up later than you. They're driving you're checking your phone to see where they're at. My parents could never track me. I can track mine. You can trust God with the protection of your children. Maybe your kids are grown and gone and on the other side of the country. Did you know, parent, your children are 30, 40, 50. Do you know that you can inherit in the heart of our father is protection? And even though you want so bad to protect your child and protect them from anything that would harm them, ultimately their refuge and strength is God himself. And inherent in God's heart is protection for his people. Let us go to him and trust him and pray. Finally, from the way of the city of refuge, we see that sacrifice is revealed 
us who God is. We have these theological building blocks, justice, protection, and sacrifice this morning from Joshua chapter 20. Where do I get sacrifice? Let's go to verse 6. He is to stay in that city until he stands trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest serving at that time. Until the death of the high priest serving at that time. I want you to imagine with me a person taking refuge in one of those cities. I don't think that this was some sort of like new Eden. I don't think that the city of refuge was like the new place to live. I don't think this was the new cool suburb with all of the sort of like white collar fast food on every corner. I I think that the city of refuge had grit to it. And I think the city of refuge was probably a bittersweet place. I want you to imagine one individual taking refuge in that city right now. Slowly having to build a new life far away from home, the bittersweet safety of that town whose occupants are riddled with guilt and homesickness. Then one day comes the news that the high priest has died. And they remember from uh, their study of Scripture that the high priest represents all the people Remember the Levites represented the, uh, the, the worship and the sacrifice for sin in the tabernacle of not just their own tribe, but of everyone. The high priest represents all the people of God. Do you remember the high priest would go in to the holy place and offer sacrifice for sin on behalf of the people? Well, there in that city... The one guilty of manslaughter waits occupied with whatever their new hobby or vocation is to contribute to that society. And news travels and rings clear that the high priest has died and everyone taking refuge in that city and all six cities may return home to wives and children and parents to sleep in their own beds. The high priest was sufficient, when he died, he made a sacrifice that set the manslayer free. Harvest Community Church, we have such a high priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest who made a perfect sacrifice one time and for all. Harvest Community Church, sacrifice comes from the very heart of God. This heart was fully revealed in the death of Jesus Christ, who is God for us, our great high priest. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says this. Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not the one made of hands that is not of this creation. Jesus Christ entered the most holy place How many times? Once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal represent. Can you go back? I don't want to get that wrong. Having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. That's under the law. Verse 14, how much more 
will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, perfect to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 Continue this. Every high priest, this is in the Jewish tradition, stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins ultimately. But this man, Jesus Christ, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and he is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus Christ, Harvest, is our high priest. We, the guilty, are able to return home and rest because of the sacrificial heart of our God. Sacrifice is in the heart of God. The way of the city of refuge reveals that sacrifice, especially the most effective form of sacrifice, comes from God and represents his heart towards people. This is why John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not die forever, but live forever, will not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder if in this room this morning, there are people living in a city of refuge who have never heard the bell ring, ring loud and clear that the high priest has died and we can return home and rest. I wonder if in this room there are people who like the man in the city of refuge or the woman finding temporary shelter there have a restless heart, are trying to perfect yourself through religion. Maybe that's why you're even here this morning. And you've never heard that Jesus Christ once and for all died to make you pure so that you can return home and rest. All your working is ceased. I wonder if this morning there won't be some of you who want to come up and pray with one of the members of our prayer team or an elder or an elder's wife and say, God, I want to return home and rest. I want peace in my heart. I want eternal rest for my soul. I trust that Jesus, the great high priest, sacrificed his life for me. Finally, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 20. List the cities. More cities. What do we do with this? We map them out. There's three to the east of the Jordan River. And there's three to the west of the Jordan River. We know that two and a half tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan River. The rest, the nine and a half, settled to the west of the Jordan River. We see the cities of refuge space from north to south, from east to west. And we learn that God's heart is merciful. And I have a word for you this morning, <laughs> practical God has a practical heart for justice. God isn't just just in the theological sense that he is just, it describes his nature. God is just in a practical way. The placement of these cities reveals 
that God's heart is merciful and practical. God does not place himself out of reach. God does not place his justice and his protection and his sacrifice in faraway places. God evenly spaces his works and his kingdom outposts. God never places himself out of reach. The placement of the cities of refuge reveals the practical heart of God. I invite us from Joshua 20 to celebrate God our refuge and Christ our high priest. But I want, to hear, I want us to hear something from the Lord this morning, that God has a practical heart for justice. In light of Joshua 20, let us rest deeply in God, our refuge and strength. But let us follow that heart of God this week into small and practical steps of justice. What do I mean by practical heart for justice? Though this last Monday, if your kids are in Milwaukee County schools, they head off on Monday. And I asked my kids, why do you have off today? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was dissatisfied with legalized segregation. He believed that in the heart of God, all men and women were equal regardless of race. And he took a stand and modeled what peaceful protest should look like in our country because he believed that the heart of God was practical for justice. Linda, our deacon of prayer, looked in Oak Creek and said there's two nursing homes where she believes there are lonely people there who need the light of Christ. And Linda came forward to the leadership of Harvest and said, could I start something where we pray and bring communion and bring a short message to these people. And she's been doing this ever since for months now. My little sister, Ashley, relocated from the cold up here to McAllen, the border of Texas and Mexico, and developed a heart for what was going on in the foster care system of South Texas and has taken in numerous children into her home, adopting some Right now, this week, uh, a little boy named Alejandro has a heart surgery. This week, we can be praying for him. She doesn't just believe that God is just. She's following God's heart, believing that God's heart for justice is practical and actionable. We have teachers in our public school system. I think of Mrs. Beth Burroughs, who oversees IEPs for two of my sons and shows the kind, patient heart of God for people with learning disabilities. Because the heart of God is practical and actionable. And I'm wondering this morning if you would follow God into a Monday morning actionable justice. I'm wondering if in your school, in your home, in your workplace, you could demonstrate the heart of God for justice, protection, and sacrifice in even a small way. And if you don't know how, if you're looking for something, we have a heart for kids in the foster care system in Milwaukee County, and you could come talk to Brittany 
or myself about how to get involved in Royal Family Kids. I could introduce you to Linda after the service, and we could talk about visiting uh, the nursing home. Maybe you're here in a dating relationship. What better thing to do than to go with Linda to the nursing home? I challenge you to consider this. The ushers are going to come, and we're going to go to the Lord's table. I would like to spend some time in quiet reflection and prayer preparing to receive the elements this morning. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the great high priest, this is a time to do it. If you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, would you just spend some time venting your heart in thanksgiving to Jesus making a once and for all sacrifice for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for the table. We thank you for these elements that point us to you. We thank you for Jesus, whose blood covers all of our sin. God, meet with us in a special way now in Jesus' name, amen.